What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. The financial exchange is produced by Money Matters Radio and is hosted by employees of the Armstrong Advisory Group, a registered investment advisor that provides investment advisory services. All opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, do not reflect the opinions of Armstrong Advisory or anyone else, and do not guarantee profit. Investments can lose money. This program does not offer any specific financial or investment advice. Please consult your own financial, tax, and estate planning advisors before making any investment decisions. Armstrong and Money Matters Radio do not compensate each other for referrals and are not affiliated. This is the Financial Exchange with Chuck Zotta and Mike Armstrong. Your exclusive look at business and financial news affecting your day, your city, your world. Stay informed and up-to-date about economic and market trends. Plus, get breaking business news every day. The Financial Exchange is a proud partner of the Disabled American Veterans Department of Massachusetts. You, too, can support our great American heroes by visiting financialexchangeshow.com slash DAV. And now, it's time for the Financial Exchange with Chuck Zotta and Mike Armstrong. It is Chuck and Mike, and we've got Ben filling in for Tucker today and putting up with all my crap that goes along with that. And we've got markets selling off a little bit after opening in positive territory, but the Dow is currently down 210 points. The S&P 500 is down about 15, and the NASDAQ is down about 70 points, so about a half percent sell-off that's taking place today. The 10-year U.S. Treasury is also selling off with that interest rate now back above 3.5% to 3.52. We've got oil, West Texas Intermediate, holding Basically stable at eighty-two dollars and eighteen cents, just up eight, uh, just up two cents for the day. And we've got gold down forty-one seventy an ounce to two thousand thirteen and sixty cents. Mike, we had retail sales this morning, worse than expected, but everyone was kind of expecting them to be worse than expected. Which, how do you expect something to be worse than you expected if you are already expecting it to be bad? I don't know, but that's what we got. I don't know that they were they were expecting the retail sales to worsen, and then they worsened more than I think at least the consensus. Everyone I talked to was expecting the number to miss to, to the downside, abysmal. though. Yeah, yeah, fair yeah. enough, and it did. Uh, the consensus estimate was for a decline in retail sales of minus half a percent, came in minus a full percentage point, uh, effectively. Savings at gas stations was a big piece of that, but in other months, you've seen those savings from gas stations go towards other spending, and it just didn't happen in the month of March from what we can tell. I don't think you should read anything from this one data point in terms of whether this is a recession indicator, whether this is going to prove that uh, inflation is dead, but I do think you can take this and look at... I look at three data points that we've received now over the last seven days, and I'd start with the jobs report. So last Friday, we got the jobs report out, 236,000 new jobs created. Uh, that is a below trend number. And then you saw wages that you know didn't really move a whole lot. So uh, average hourly earnings from that jobs report grew about a quarter of a percent month over month. 
And then finally, you had CPI, which showed at least headline inflation at the best number you've seen in a couple of years now. And so I think in the context of those three reports, it's still early to say, but I think it lends credence to the idea, Chuck, that the worst of the inflation that we saw back in the summer of last year certainly isn't coming back. And maybe we do get back to some of those more normalized rates, not immediately, but by year end. Let's talk a little bit about housing and specifically this uh, idea of a housing shortage. And the reason that I bring this up is there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal today titled, How Severe is the Housing Shortage? Well, it depends on how you define shortage. We're going to play this game. Yeah, uh, it reminds me of, uh, was it Bill Clinton that famously said, you know, depends what your definition of is, is? Yeah, yeah. that was him. Yeah, so... Uh, Okay, yes. Uh, A bunch of different agencies say different things. I think there's one good definition of it in terms of uh, what how we define the housing shortage. But just to give some reference, the National Low Income Housing Coalition says the U.S. has a shortage of 7.3 million units. Realtor.com says 6.5 million units. Fannie Mae says 4.4 million. And Up for Growth, uh, who I've never heard of before, says 3.8 million units. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, And John Burns Research and Consulting uh, puts it at just 1.7 million units. And today in the United States, we have around 142 million units. So I have to say that ranges from 1.7 to 7.3 are statistically pretty different in terms of how severe this shortage is. But I, I like one measurement of this in particular, which is how many new households have been created over a period of time and how has housing kept pace with that? So new households creation formation since 2012 is at 15.6 million individuals. Total single family homes uh, increased 9.03 million during that period of time. And then if you include uh, multifamily housing units, you have another uh, about 4 million units during that period of time. So I think that is the is the explanation that makes the most sense to me is how many households have been formed, how many new housing units have been created, and that gives you to you know effectively where your housing gap is at least compared to some historical point in time. Mike, do you want to go build three million new units of housing with me this this summer? Uh, you would. I, I would not be the right person to partner with on that. I fall into the category of the Paul Lanes where I can. Actually, I, I'm going to take a step up from Paul Lane. I, I can screw in a light bulb. I can, you know, maybe make a minor repair to a toilet, and I can install a new light switch. Um, can you unscrew the light bulb after it dies? I can. I can handle that much. Although I have, okay, you know, shattered one before. So not always, I guess, would be my point. Uh, so yeah, you don't want to pair with me on that. But I don't know. To me, that makes the most sense. Take a look at the increase in households. Have we built enough houses to keep up with that? And the answer seems to be seems to be no. There, you know, all these other organizations define it differently. How many affordable housing units are there? Well, my answer is the reason there aren't a whole lot of affordable housing units is because there haven't been total enough housing units built. Right. I mean, look. It, ultimately, if you build too many luxury housing units, then they turn into affordable housing units. They become affordable housing units. Yeah. So. I, I think when we look at it, I'm just going to take the mid- midpoint there and call it four million is what we need. Okay. Because there's this range of 1.7 to seven and a half. Let's just take the midpoint at four, and and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but let's just use that and say that's what we're trying to do. 
if you look at how many single family homes the U.S. has built the last couple of years, it's around one and a half to one point six million. So you're obviously not going to just go out and build four million homes in a summer. We we know this. Right. But let's say that you aspire to do this over a decade. You've still got to increase your pace of construction by 25 percent. And that's not accounting for the additional growth that you have to build in because the U.S. population, while still growing slowly, is growing. I also don't so, know why we have such a focus on single-family homes. I, I know that this is a totally American thing where everybody wants the white picket fence, but you can build multifamily spaces that are comfortable for families to live in. It is possible. Totally. totally. <laughs> like Most of the world does it, by the way. We're just, yes, we're just an outlier here in the United States. Yeah, the, the U.S. is an outlier. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that single family is right or wrong or multifamily is right or wrong, but it, it can be a combination and it probably should be because, again, not everyone wants to live in that single family home. There are plenty of people. I, I have a couple of good buddies who they want to live in and around cities because that's what they like. And, and they're in their late 30s now and they've got kids and they're they're making it work, even with you know kids, which normally is the driving force behind people moving to the burbs. So uh, if you say, hey, we need to build an extra 400,000 units a year for a decade, there are a few things that you do need to to figure out then. Number one, okay, where are you going to get the materials from? We know that's been an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Number two, where are you going to get the labor from? Where, where are you going to find all these extra plumbers and electricians? Because from what I gather from talking with plumbers and electricians, flat out, they're, they're already pretty busy. Flat out. They're, they're they're pretty they they can't just say yeah I'll I'll take on you know an extra four hundred thousand homes this week that sounds good yeah and by the way I mean they're also being dragged in another direction by other competing government programs such as the Chips Act to go work on right. you know, building up semiconductor manufacturing facilities or battery facilities um, it is not as though it's not as though the electricians out there can only work on building apartment complexes and single-family homes. So there's a there's a challenging path when you get to this kind of deficit to to undoing it. It's it's not going to be easy and this shortage has built up over a decade plus because it was all after the excesses of the early 2000s in the building there. Well then we spent, you know, 7-8 years building a quarter as many homes as we were at the peak. You know, we we spent five years building fewer than a million homes. And three of those years, we spent only building around half a million homes. That was down from 2.07 in 2005. So are we at a turning point? Right. Are we getting to a point where affordability on homes is so outrageous that you will actually see this construction? I mean, you were able to kind of paint over it over the last couple of years because interest rates were so low. But are we now getting to a stage where it's just so preposterously expensive to own a to buy a home now? that you're going to see this. I, I don't really see any evidence of that. No, and, and the part that's tough is if you look at all of the input costs, yeah, they might not be going up the way they were, but the, the levels haven't really come down much. I mean, I I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, just trying to do, you know, basic, simple things, and I was amazed just at how expensive they were for, for building a new house now. And it, it was just shocking to me. I, I don't know... The issue in my mind is not if you're a home builder, I think you're going to be able to sell the home that you build with almost no problems. 
but I'm not convinced that you are going to be able to sell it for the profit that you want because right. the input costs are not matching up with what people can actually afford to pay. And that means that builders say, well, fine, I'm not going to build. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the work of building a home to make $500 in profit. No, I'll go renovate one instead. There's a because there's a lot that can go wrong that would eat that profit up if anything happens. Yep. So that's the, the tough part where we are right now is incomes and home prices are completely divergent. And unfortunately, I think that hurts on the supply side, which is exactly what you need in order to fix this. Yeah. More zoning for let's multifamily. Take, yeah, let's let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Corey Adams from Robert Half right after this. And we've also got trivia. The Financial Exchange has a brand new text code. Text us at 617-362-1385 and keep on top of breaking business news all day long. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. At Office Gallery International, we can help you design the perfect office space. Come visit our state-of-the-art showroom in Norwood, where you'll find a wide variety of products that can help you envision a beautiful and productive workspace. At Office Gallery, we take a high-tech approach to furniture, starting with our designs, and our personal service is second to none. Schedule your free consultation with one of our experts today by visiting us online at officegallery.net. That's officegallery.net. Office Gallery, creating workplace solutions that work. For 40 years, Cancer Support Community has been a relentless ally for anyone impacted by cancer with free services provided online and in person with their newest location in Massachusetts. Connect with Cancer Support Community Massachusetts for free emotional support, educational resources, patient navigation, financial counseling, and more. 617-797-3391. CancerSupportMass.org. CancerSupportMass.org. The latest news on inflation and how the markets are reacting every morning, right here on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. The Financial Exchange is proudly partnered with VA New England. If you or a loved one serve this country, get the health benefits you earned and deserve. Call 844-VA-CARES. That's 844-VA-CARES. Joining us now is uh, Corey Adams from Robert Half talking to us about the job market for new graduates. Corey, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, as always, for having me. So we're about a month out from that time of year where families uh, you know, drive and fly across the country to watch their kids walk across the stage and throw a funny-looking hat in the air. And uh, I've been hearing a lot about you know, just changes in, maybe just in perception of the strength of the labor market for new grads. But you guys talked to over 2,000 hiring managers. Uh, what takeaways did you have from those hiring managers in terms of what they are looking for in this graduating class? So a recent research revealed what I'll call five key trends for these college graduates who are planning to launch their career over the next few months. So I'll go through them briefly here. So the first trend is really around multiple interviews. Hmm. Employers are typically conducting four interviews with an entry-level candidate before extending an offer and taking five weeks on average to actually complete the hiring process. The second trend we're seeing is around questions that gauge soft skills. And so that's different. So, you know, one in five managers attribute their hiring mistakes to placing too much weight on technical skills. So mm -hmm. as a result, situational questions are becoming more common now than ever. Um, the other trend is around preparation and follow through. So beyond skills, managers said the following actions 
can tip the scales in an applicant's favor. Number one, researching the company. Number two, maintaining a respectable online presence, also called a digital footprint. Mm. Uh, and the third would be sending a thank you note after an interview. And then the last two trends, not a surprise on this one, it's around more office, more in-office time. So less than one in three entry-level jobs are advertised as hybrid or fully remote. And then finally, uh, the, the last trend is around hiring around the bright spots. College graduates can increase their chances of finding work by exploring roles in industries with the most jobs available. We know that this is, you know, right now, this is a historically strong job market. Although I have been hearing, you know, I think there's a story in maybe the Times or the Journal about uh, college grads, you know, facing frustrations, having a tough time finding a role in their career uh, or, or in their desired career path. Are, are we seeing anything along those lines that, hey, it is becoming challenging for graduates finding roles or has it been, are those just one-off stories? I mean, I'd call them one-off because here's the reality. There's still 9.9 million open jobs in the U.S., making it a really good time for new grads to launch their career. And don't forget, too, you know, that the unemployment rate for college-degreed workers was 2% last month, which is below the national rate. And so, listen, these professionals are the most sought-after candidates by employers right now in today's market. What, uh, speaking of sought after, are there specific areas that you're seeing the most demand for in terms of, you know, specialty areas? Yeah, I'll give you a couple quick things. So some of the most in-demand entry-level roles could be software developer, system analyst, marketing manager, HR specialist, accountants, and internal auditors. The industries that sort of jump out right now, professional services, finance, manufacturing, uh, healthcare, and then social assistance. And let's just go one step further, sort of tying it back to some of those soft skills. The top soft skills and traits uh, that seem to be in-demand or sought out for from employers, right, to professionals. You've got communication skills, someone who's self-motivated, is good at problem-solving, uh, also someone who desires and is comfortable with teamwork and collaboration, and then finally, leadership and analytical thinking. Corey, one that showed up on your list here that I just continue to hear about is the accounting industry. It seems as though fewer and fewer people have any desire to go into that industry, facing big shortages of people. What are you guys seeing on the Robert Half side of things in terms of supply and demand of accountants out there? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it depends on sort of what you're hearing and what you're reading, but I think the accounting and finance space is, is stronger than ever. And so I think um, the appetite that our clients have for bringing on staff and the difficulty that they're having uh, identifying, attracting, and, and onboarding new talent tells me that it's still a very, very strong space right now. Any ways that, or any tips that you would have for you know graduating seniors for really standing out uh, among the workforce? I, I was meeting with some people the other night who just said, you know, uh, one way to stand out is just being at the office more regularly than than your colleagues. You know, showing up is a big piece right now. Uh, what other tips would you have for graduating seniors? You know, people entering the job market. Yeah, well, for the first-time job seekers, those who are looking for their first job coming to college, I'll give you a, a few quick things as it relates to your search. Number one, pinpoint your priorities. Find out what matters most to you, whether that's the, a growth opportunity, whether it's company values. So that way you can really hone in and focus on what you're looking for. And so you should consider all deal makers and breakers, any potential compromises. I would recommend being proactive and purposeful. Make sure your resume and LinkedIn profile are current. Start applying for jobs if you haven't already, which obviously most people probably have, um, it's a really good idea to always customize application materials for every opportunity. 
And then this is a big one. Request an in-person interview with the role requires in-office work. This mm-hmm. will give you a chance to get a feel for the commute, company culture, and also your potential colleagues. And then everyone should 100% be researching the companies and the people who they interview with. And then make sure you're practicing articulating your value as a professional and a potential employee. Corey Adams from Robert Half talking to us about graduating seniors and the college application process and the, the job market that seems to be out there right now. Corey, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Yeah, it's, uh, it is that time of year. I, I don't know. Yeah, Chuck, I think you and I had seen a story recently. I think it was the Times that was pointing towards, you know, uh, college graduates saying they couldn't find roles in their, in their path uh, or in their, in their focus area. And I have to say, I just, I just don't buy it. But I think, the, I think the key way to stand out in this labor market from everyone I'm hearing is we just can't get people to come back into the office. So saying that you're going to come into the office and actually doing so, I think is actually, in this day and age, surprisingly enough, uh, quite enough to do the job uh, and get yourself that role and then get promoted within that role. Uh, it just makes you a standout in this labor market right now. Let's go ahead and uh, take a quick break here. Market's still in negative territory and seems to be worsening a little bit more. We'll, uh, we'll be covering that and then trivia coming up next here on the Financial Exchange. But what's going on in the European commercial real estate sector? We know there's a lot of concern about office spaces and shopping malls here domestically. What's going on in Europe? We'll cover that too next on the Financial Exchange. The Financial Exchange is live on Facebook, so make sure to like our page and watch the guys break down the latest on the markets every day beginning at 10 on the Financial Exchange Radio Network. If you missed any of today's show, catch up whenever you want on our YouTube page. Find daily show segments and full shows. Just go to YouTube.com and search for the Financial Exchange. This is your home for breaking business and financial news. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Trivia is brought to you by Encore Boston Harbor. Visit EncoreBostonHarbor.com and see for yourself why Encore is a Forbes five-star award winner for both hotel and spa. Yesterday, we had a story about how Warner Brothers Discovery will be dropping the name HBO from its streaming service. Dumb idea. HBO is the oldest and longest continuously operating subscription television service in the United States. HBO pioneered modern pay television upon its launch. It was the first television service to be directly transmitted and distributed to individual cable television systems. Today's question, quite simple. What year was HBO launched? What year was HBO launched? Be the third person to text us at 617-362-1385 with the correct answer, and you'll win a Financial Exchange Show t-shirt and be registered to win a $100 gift card Gift card to Encore Boston Harbor. Be sure to include the keyword Encore in your text. We'll give away the Encore gift card on today's show. That's 617 617- Three six two one three eight five, and the third correct response will be our winner. Mike, let's talk a little bit about commercial real estate this time with the European twist, because there's a piece in CNBC today. It's titled "Fears Mount That Europe's Commercial Real Estate Sector Could Be the Next to Fall." Well, Mike, what do they mean next? Because to this point. We haven't really seen any widespread commercial real estate destruction anywhere. No, I think I saw one foreclosure 
of 3,000 units in Houston. There have been some things. I mean, again, like you see, you know, buildings that get foreclosed on and that, you know, that loans default on. But you always do. Right. This this is what. Honestly, this CNBC article that I read through, and I don't know if you read all the way through it, but it was the least well organized. It was the most poorly organized and. Like I, I could not find one common theme between it, it jumps between oh you know Europeans commercial real estate is terrible and then goes on to talk about the U.S. real estate market for you know an entire page uh, and then concludes that in fact no Europe's situation is probably very different than the United States for a bunch of key reasons and may not be at risk it, that that seems to have been the general conclusion from CNBC in which case who wrote this title don't know. Don't know. So, and a few key facts here. Uh, a few things that I want to point out here. Um, in terms of exposure from the banks, according to Goldman Sachs, commercial real estate accounts for about 25% of U.S. bank loan books. That's around 9% for European banks. So there's stress about the European banking situation, but um, they don't hold as much commercial real estate. And furthermore, commercial real estate seems actually healthier in Europe. They have uh, far less square footage of uh, shopping mall and retail space compared to the United States per capita. And the office vacancy rates in Europe are sitting around 7%, whereas in the United States, we're at 19%. So yeah, I mean, y- where's Europe the problem? Is organized, Europe is organized fundamentally differently from the US in terms of how its populations are distributed and what types of stuff they build. They don't build big strip malls. It's not what they do. Likewise, go to most major European cities. Do you have, you know, anything that looks like New York City? No. Do you have anything that looks like, you know, Back Bay in Boston? Not really in most of them. Yeah. They're low, old, and spread out with not a ton of new construction. That's just, you know, the way that they're generally set up. And I, I just... I don't see any similarities here, and this this piece eventually does kind of say that. But look, if you want the stuff to be concerned about, it's it's in the U.S. But even there, the point that I always make is once you know about it, that's not usually the problem anymore. Yeah, I mean, like I think there's a really compelling case that uh, that for like, instance, do you remember at the beginning of do you remember the beginning of last year when we were counting ships in Los Angeles Harbor? Yeah, turned out it wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem by that point. Yeah. Okay. Right now it's right now we're looking at, you know, regional banks and wondering about them and commercial real estate and this and that. And and I'm sitting here a a month after the Silicon Valley bank blow up. And I continue to find it weird that people are referring to it as a crisis. Because it's not. It's one bank that did some really dumb stuff and blew up. Yeah. And I mean, again, you know, if you want to take the argument of, hey, European banks are in bad shape because of the Credit Suisse and now what's going to happen with UBS and other Deutsche banks. Um, okay, I'm happy to have that conversation, but I, I don't see where it's coming from the, on the commercial real estate side. Just not really adding up to me right now. The United States, Virgin Islands, St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John were recently voted a top Caribbean destination by Travel and Leisure Magazine and several other top media organizations as well as the best Caribbean islands to visit in 2023 by the Caribbean Journal. Spring has arrived in New England, but it's still a perfect time to head to America's Caribbean paradise. When you arrive, you'll enjoy some of the most pristine beaches in the world, incredible scuba diving and snorkeling, and world-class culinary offerings. 
Book your trip today and fall naturally in rhythm with the heartbeat of the islands where the sun is strong, the clouds are few, and the weather is perfect every day. Travel from New England could not be easier with no passport required, no money to exchange, and no travel restrictions to enter. Go to visitusvi.com and learn more about America's Caribbean paradise and book a trip today. That's visitusvi.com. Chuck, in further support of your argument that it's not a banking crisis, treasuries have calmed down and uh, companies are borrowing again quite a bit since the Silicon Valley Bank collapse. Marriott. Uh, you got some data for me? So uh, over the next three weeks after the collapse, um, there immediately there was a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't happening, but uh, investment-grade issuance from non-financial companies averaged about $15 billion over the next three weeks after that collapse. Marriott borrowed uh, significantly. PG&E started borrowing again. Uh, Ford Motors, Cloud Software issued $8.3 billion worth of granted below investment grade corporate bonds last week, but it looks like all of them did take a step back. Uh, most corporate borrowers took a step step back from the loan market for a couple of weeks and then looked around and said, huh, no other banks have collapsed yet, so let's get back to business and start doing things as we normally would. So it doesn't speak to the fact that Hey, yeah, the the interest on that debt is more expensive, and it's going to be more costly, and potentially eat into earnings of these companies. All that true, all that seems to be true. But the idea that they are going to not have access to debt markets, at least for the largest companies out there, there's clearly no evidence of it. For smaller ones, this, I think we have to wait and see. And this is another feather in the cap in, in terms of people who said hey, there's not going to be any imminent recession, you know, in the in second quarter right after this, because that's that's just not how recessions happen. If you want to make the case that, hey, there could be a recession, you know, starting in Q4 or something of this year because of, you know, combination of lending slowdowns overall, plus the U.S. consumer getting a little exhausted and this. OK, I can, I can buy those theses, but recessions don't just spring up out of the blue. Usually they they. No, they well, they don't. Okay, well, the one that sprang up out of the blue was when we shut down our entire economy, sent everybody home, and that said was not a recession. That it, was not a recession. Was. That was that, that was a controlled stopping of the U.S. economy. I don't consider that a recession. I hear you, but the 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 board that determines recessions does. So I'm going to call that one a uh, out of nowhere recession. It, it was a self induced recession. Yes, fair. I'll, I'll at least accept that. Okay. But other than, you know, deciding, hey, we need to, you know, stop doing a bunch of business. Recessions don't just happen. They need to have a catalyst. And so if you're trying to say that there should be a recession happening right now, what is the catalyst for it? And I, I hear people pointing to, well, you know, there's there's war overseas in Ukraine. OK, it's been there for a year. That's that's not a new catalyst. Well, you know, I'm you know, I'm nervous about, you know, the Silicon Valley bank collapse. OK. Are you seeing any changes as a result of it right now? No, you're not. How about uh, a big vote that's going to have to come up sometime in the next four months when it comes to the United States debt ceiling? It's going to be ugly, but does, does it's probably going to pass the positive. But uh, yeah, if that one goes no. Uh, and somehow the United States defaults on its debt, then yeah, you have there you go. You've got your recession uh, cause for you. Even the, like, let's say that the U.S. in theory, let's let's play out the worst case string. Okay, let's say that the United States does not raise the debt ceiling. Mm. Explain to me what happens immediately afterwards. 
interest rates shoot up, debt gets downgraded. Can, can the market handle as such an, an, an additional increase in interest rates, I think would be the question. Do debt markets dry up because all of a sudden you're once again calling into question the United States uh, creditworthiness? I think that would, be, that would be my question. Let's take a quick break here on the Financial Exchange. When we come back, we'll have our trivia winner and time for Stack Roulette. Miss any of the show? You can catch up at your convenience by visiting FinancialExchangeShow.com and clicking the on-demand icon where you'll find all of our interviews and full shows. This is your home for the latest business and financial news in New England and around the country. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. The United States Virgin Islands, St. Croix, St. Thomas, and St. John were recently voted a top Caribbean destination by Travel and Leisure Magazine and several other top media organizations, as well as the best Caribbean islands to visit in 2023 by the Caribbean Journal. Spring has arrived in New England, but it's still a perfect time to head to America's Caribbean paradise. When you arrive, you'll enjoy some of the most pristine beaches in the world, incredible scuba diving and snorkeling, and world-class culinary offerings. Book your trip today and fall naturally in rhythm with the heartbeat of the islands, where the sun is strong, the clouds are few, and the weather is perfect every day. Travel from New England could not be easier, with no passport required, no money to exchange, and no travel restrictions to enter. Go to visitusvi.com and learn more about America's Caribbean paradise and book a trip today. That's visitusvi.com. The Financial Exchange is now available on your Alexa smart speaker. Ask to play the Financial Exchange and catch up on anything you might have missed. This is the Financial Exchange Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. Financial literacy is power. The more you know, the better you are at managing your money. Credit unions offer classes and guidance on money management from establishing credit to buying a new home or saving for retirement. Your financial well-being is at the heart of every credit union. Learn more at bettervaluesbetterbanking.com. All right, let's pay off some trivia today. The question was, what year was HBO launched? The answer, 1972. Actually, earlier than I would have expected. I knew it was around in the late 70s, but I did not know it was around that early. HBO launched at 7.30 p.m. on November 8th, 1972. The service's inaugural program and event telecast was not a movie. It was actually an NHL game between the New York Rangers and the Vancouver Canucks at Madison Square Garden. Our trivia winner today is Christine from Whitman. She has won a Financial Exchange Show t-shirt. And our Encore gift card winner is Sal from Burlington. Trivia is brought to you by Encore Boston Harbor. Visit EncoreBostonHarbor.com and see for yourself why Encore is a Forbes five-star award winner for both hotel and spa. Mike, what do you got for me for Stack Roulette? Walmart uh, seems to have made a pretty bad deal here. They bought a men's fashion wear company, Bonobos. Um, I think they got famous for like shorts. Good yeah, I, I think that's yeah. where they they made their name. They bought them back in 2017 for a cool 310 million dollars as they were trying to grow their online presence and compete a little bit more with Amazon. It seems. Well, they uh, they just decided to unload it over to WHP Global and Express for 75 million. So they bought high and they're selling low. Yeah, 
Doesn't seem like it worked out too well. I don't know really how Bonobos was to fit into the Walmart category. I I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it would be a brand that would uh, that would play there. I, I know they're trying to go a little bit more upscale. I think they're trying to you know be a supplier of you know everyday clothing to people, but it clearly did not work out for them uh, in this deal here. And I I still think you know Walmart kills it in a few key areas and right now I think they are going to continue to excel because they have the reputation for being the cheapest provider provider out there um, or cheapest retailer out there but this seems to me like it would fit a little bit better into like a target uh, demographic than than Walmart's you know where this would actually be a great fit in terms of trying to you know kind of modernize the brand a little bit mm. Macy's yeah yeah so but I'm sure it'll start does, showing does, up in a bunch Macy's of places. Does Macy's own any brands under their umbrella? I'm sure they do. I, I don't know. I, I, but I would be surprised if they don't own any of those brands that they sell. I don't know. You walk into one and... It's all other it, stuff, yeah. It, it's all, you know, polo and uh, Levi's and this and that. It's it's all those, you know, stores within a store idea. So I don't know what they have for their own brands. I'd be, I'd be curious because I, I don't know offhand, quite honestly. So, I mean, they do own, does Bloomingdale's carry any self-branded stuff? I don't know if I've ever been in a Bloomingdale's. Yeah, me either. Uh, I honestly couldn't tell you where the closest one is. Macy's owns 20 private brands, including mostly clothing and home good lines. That's all I get right here. Mm. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, they do. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Washington Commanders. They are nearing a deal to be sold to the current owner of the Philadelphia 76ers of the NBA for approximately $6 billion. $6 billion, Michael. Tell me it's a recession again. <laughs> the, the Fed needs to hike. <laughs> so um, I can't claim to know everything about the Commanders, but I know they have been facing decreasing attendance a pretty just I their mean, fans hate their owner yeah Everyone generally speaking i feel like the you know, owner it, is, i think it was said by the wall street journal today actually on their morning podcast that he might be the most hated private citizen in washington dc history which is uh, a hard lift right but but i mean not that difficult because right you're you're not saying they said private citizens so there probably have been more hated politicians who have lived in dc mm. but have there has there been a more hated private citizen than the owner of the washington redskins football team and now commanders i i don't i'm not sure and I'm i mean sure. arguably he's been the the owner for what i think 22 or 23 years now mm. maybe even 25 and the legacy that he leaves behind there, the teams were terrible. There were all kinds of scandals going on. Right. He's you know, under federal he investigation there. right now for, you know, multiple things, federal but including sexual assault. Fraud, fraud yeah, I mean, and then, you know, a bunch of other stuff, too. Well, I don't think he's under investigation for sexual assault. I, there, there are no? all kinds. Of, I, I okay. don't think so. OK. I, there are all kinds of sexual harassment lawsuits that are out harassment there. Harassment might be what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, um, you have, you know, there's all and then you just have the, the dumb stuff. Ben, do you remember last year when the commanders unveiled the Sean Taylor Memorial statue? Yes. Oh, my God. That was so bad. Mike, did you hear about this or does this no, not make this it into is, your, uh, your headspace? It does not. So Sean Taylor was a safety for the commanders who played 15 years ago, Ben. Yeah, early 2000s, about 2003 to like 2007. 
tragically, he was murdered, uh, you know, in the middle of his career. And they said last year, finally, OK, we're going to unveil, you know, a statue for Sean Taylor. And they basically just made a wire mannequin dressed in kind of his uniform, but they mixed uniform elements from like different eras accidentally. And so they unveiled this thing and people basically just laughed at them. So it wasn't a statue. I'm looking no. at it right now. It was a mannequin. It's it's a it's a mannequin, and they, they don't even have the right licensing. They have like it's like a Reebok jersey with Adidas pants and Nike shoes. It's just everything's like mishmashed together. It's like they took a mannequin out of their team store that was already displaying different yes. styles of jerseys and just wheeled it out onto the field. Yes. <laughs> Are you looking at it right now? Yeah, I'm looking at it. It's pretty funny. I, I, mean, I mean, this is the kind of thing that you him, almost can't mess family, up. It's, but, it's, yeah. you, co- you commission someone to make a statue of Sean Taylor, right? And they messed it up. Yeah, they sure did. So there's that. Quick look at markets. Still in negative territory. The Dow is off 212 points. The S&P is off 19. The NASDAQ off 91. So a half to a three quarters of a percentage point decline going on right now. Ten-year Treasury also selling off now up to 3.53%. We're done for the day and done for the week. We will see you on Monday. Have a fantastic weekend, and we'll be back at it as we kick off earnings season next week.